everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Plant Medicine, Cannabis, Psychedelics, and Pharmaceutics. Today, I have a very, very special guest with me, uh, Dr. Thomas Kingsley Brown. He is an ibogaine specialist, and we will be going uh, a little bit into the details about him in a minute. But before we get there, what do we do first? We got to do a good house cleaning. <clears throat> This show is for educational purpose and should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to Lester Plant Medicine. I am Dr. Lola, also known as Dr. O, a clinical pharmacist, a cannabis a psychedelic specialist. I am the founder of WCI Health, your alternative health and wellness hub. At WCI Health, we help you level up on your wellness journey using the healing powers of plant medicine like cannabis, psychedelics, and using education as tools. WCI Health is the manufacturers of glows. When you think glows, things beauty from within. <clears throat> Having said that, we also have WCI Health University is your intersection of psychedelic and science education for caregiver. This show is sponsored by WCI Health, your alternative health and wellness hub. Yeah, that is our good house cleaning. So what's next? I have with me today, Dr. Thomas Kingsley Brown. He is a prominent researcher into the effect of Oster state of consciousness into especially uh, Ibogaine. <clears throat> He's been working at this space uh, since 2019. He is a professor. Uh, he graduated from UC San Diego. He's done a lot of stuff. I went on their website. He has published so many articles on this subject. Dr. Brown, welcome to the show. If there's anything that I missed that you would like to emphasize, go ahead and tell our audience about it. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Lola. I'm really delighted to be here. Um, I just wanted to point out one thing, and that is that I have been working with Ibogaine since about 2009. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, great. Thank you for having me here. That is awesome. Folks, for, before we even get, I start asking Dr. Brown question today. This topic, when it talks to, I talk about hypogene, is very, very special and dear to my heart. I did a presentation on the global cannabis uh, intelligence, uh, the world global cannabis intelligence uh, last year or so. And my presentation was the hypogene. Is it the new cannabis? Why am I so passionate about Ibogaine? I'm passionate about it because I was, you guys know, I was originally from Africa, from Western part of Africa. I was born, my earlier childhood was in that, in that community. And Iboga, where we get Ibogaine from, the Ibogaine is an active, major active ingredient that we find in the Iboga plant was synonymous to the Aboiti people of Congo, Central Congo, which is in West Africa. Nigeria, where I am from, is also part of West Africa. I remember growing, when I was a young girl, I mean, looking back, this is when I remember that, I saw one time in my house, uh, Vukanga Africana, which is another species of the Tabernet, uh Iboga, where... Uh, Ibogaine is derived. I know I am trying to be a geek and all that <laughs> stuff. It's just, uh, it's just a very special plant. Dr. Brown, uh, you recently published a comprehensive clinical summary of Ibogaine 
use and the treatment for the benefit of researchers and medical practitioners. You have said abrogan is the only treatment for opioid use disorder that consistently and alleviate withdrawal symptoms. Basically, is the only agent that we have right now that can help with uh, addiction, especially opioid addiction, without that side effect that we see the withdrawal symptoms. Uh, talk to us first and foremost. Is it really safe? Is ibogaine safe? I say yes, it is safe. And if you ask uh, Dr. Jeff Camlet, who has, I think, probably performed more treatments with ibogaine than any other uh, doctor in the world, I, he would say that it's safe. And he's um, it's really a matter of uh, making sure that you do the proper screening and also proper uh, medical uh, oversight while you are doing the treatment. Yeah. So in your research, you also mentioned that ibogaine on the short run, it helps in the management of addiction, but it also is also very effective on the long run. Uh, your uh, your co-founder, Tom Figo, said uh, your clients report that this process can take months, leaving them to depend on claims from unverified uh folks that have used this agent. And Tom also said that this is a disservice to this agent, to Ibogaine, especially for folks that are trying to learn more about it. Talk to me about why Ibogaine should not have that bad name, that bad rap, especially when we consider the some of the side effects that we see in terms of uh, cardiac-related side effects like QT prolongation, Talk to me about that, Dr. Brown. Yeah, so the question of you know why Ibogaine really shouldn't have such a bad reputation, I guess there's, there's the other side of that question, which is why does it have a bad reputation? And I think it's really it really comes down to a few things. One of them is that it was declared illegal and it was made a controlled substance by the US uh, FDA back in 1970. And um, that has, you know, lumped it together in the whole psychedelic 60s. And, uh, you know, for a long time, as you know, um, psychedelics have been vilified in uh, Western society. Um, and the other part of that is that, and it's related to the fact that it's illegal, and that is that Ibogaine uh, treatment grew up as a, a really um, – self-help sort of uh, movement where because it was illegal in the U.S. and in many European countries, it was done underground in the U.S. It was done in countries where Ibogaine uh, was not uh, criminalized. And it was done by people who had no medical training and they had to really figure out things on their own. How does this how does this stuff work? And how do we deal with the side effects that you're talking about, like the QT prolongation and um, other kind of physical symptoms that arise when you when you have Ibogaine? And in particular, when you're using Ibogaine to treat opioid addiction, which, as you know, is, is something that really ravages the body and really uh, takes can, kind of hijacks your brain. So, um, so yeah, the, the fact that it grew up in this in this, uh, what you know, my colleague Ken Alper calls Ibogaine medical subculture, by people who are really untrained medically, is that uh, you know 
there are a lot of people who are doing treatments with Ibogaine who don't do the proper screening. They don't do an EKG before the treatment. They don't screen for people who are slow metabolizers of Ibogaine, and they don't have maybe proper uh, medical oversight by an EMT or a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the treatments have been done in far less than optimal conditions. And so that's why we have had uh, deaths associated with Ibogaine treatment. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, Dr. Dr. Camlet, uh, who is, I think, the really the world's leading ex expert on treatment with ibogaine, uh, is uh, sure that it can be done safely under proper medical supervision. That is uh, that is good, especially when we are considering how many people in our community opioid addiction or even opioid overdose have killed. According to uh, data from CDC, over 100 people die daily of opioid addiction. I'm sure Ibogaine uh, is not even that close. So talk to me, Dr. Brown. Uh, what are the clinical data to support the effectiveness of Ibogaine? I mean, do we have research that has been done? If there is research, uh, what do we know right now? And what are the things that we are still trying to figure out when it comes to research? Oh, those are great questions. Yeah, so um, there are two really main areas that Ibogaine has been shown to be effective in. And one of them is in uh, alleviating the withdrawal symptoms uh, that you would usually get when you stop using opioids. So, uh, you know, standard treatment is to give somebody another opioid. So if you're on heroin or oxycodone, and you're trying to get off of that, they'll give you methadone or suboxone, which are opioid replacements. And one of the major problems with those is that they are also uh, habit forming, they're addictive, and you will stop you if you stop using those, you're going to withdraw. Uh, I begin the, the most remarkable thing about it is that it quells those, those opioid withdrawal symptoms without causing dependence, and it does it quickly it does it rapidly and it and it this effect lasts for for days weeks or even months so um, the other thing that we've shown uh, with our research so the the ibogaine the fact that it can take care of those withdrawal symptoms has been shown by by several researchers including uh, two of the recent studies which were done by myself and by my colleague dr jeff noller in new zealand and the other thing that uh, the studies that, that uh, Dr. Noller and I did uh, showed that we are able to, with Ibogaine, um, keep people off of problematic drug use for periods of up to a year. And that was the length of our study period. So we don't know what happens after that. But we do know that um, after they are able to deal with these, you know, with the potential withdrawal symptoms that they are able to stay off of the opioids and the other problematic drugs that they've been using. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned uh, methadone. Definitely when it comes to, I mean, that is uh, as a clinical pharmacist, I know a lot <laughs> when mm. it comes to methadone. One of the other uh, issues that we even have with methadone is the fact that it stays in your body for a very long time. It has a very long half-life. So that in itself is problematic, especially when we are dealing with addiction, whereby there's that tendency to relapse. So if somebody is on methadone and you relapse and you go and take a other opioid, that can have 
uh, additive uh, com com combined effect. Uh, it is uh, it is uh, something we have to be talking about. What is the legality of uh, ibogaine? I know that it was uh, classified as a Schedule One. Uh, why is why what is the root cause? Why is it really not legal? After all, this is a plant. It's it's grown in the soil like average uh, plants that we have. What 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 is there? Why is it not legal in US? I know there are some areas of the world that this plant is legal. Yeah, another great question, uh, Dr. Lola. So, yeah, it's illegal because it's psychoactive. And uh, so the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration back in 1970 passed the Controlled Substances Act. And um, and Ibogaine was already declared illegal, I think, in 1967. Uh, but it's it was declared illegal because it is uh, psychoactive. And it was uh, really lumped together with the other uh psychedelics of the time you know the ones that were really well known and still are well known like psilocybin uh magic mushrooms and lsd and dmt and i think in their uh, efforts in their zeal to just try to stop the psychedelics movement they made all of these things illegal including ibogaine which at the time almost nobody had heard of kind of like a reefer madness uh just lumped it into the into the same boat as uh, all this other uh, plant medicine. Let's uh, let's shift gear a little bit. Let's go into what are the conditions that we can actually use the uh, ibogaine to to manage. Ah, okay. That's um. So primarily, what people are using ibogaine for is to to deal with their opioid addiction. Um, and um, I mentioned uh, Ken Alper. Uh, Dr. Ken Alper, he's a psychiatrist, and he is probably the most prominent researcher into Ibogaine in the world. And one of the great articles that he published was along with Howard Lotsoff, who discovered that Ibogaine could do these things with opioid addiction. Um, and uh, back in 2008, I believe it was, they came out with an article called the Ibogaine Medical Subculture. And what they showed was that uh, about half the people who were going to Ibogaine treatment sites were going there for opioid addiction, and about a quarter were going for addiction to other things. So we know that uh, anecdotally, Ibogaine is also good at dealing with um, alcoholism and also cocaine addiction and amphetamines and other addictions. Um, so uh, what th that they also showed is that people are going to these places for psychospiritual purposes. So maybe a quarter of the people are going to Ibogaine treatment for psychospiritual purposes. And some of those people are going there for dealing with um, histories of trauma. They might be going for, um, for uh, really dealing with their own PTSD or um, anxiety or um, even uh, traumatic brain injury. So more recently, with the, uh, the more recently than those those studies on addiction, uh, there are a few studies showing that ibogaine may well be helpful for traumatic brain injury and PTSD. And uh, we also suspect that it's going to be really effective at treating other behavioral addictions like like internet addiction, uh, uh, gambling and um, possibly even eating disorders. 
That is amazing. Wow. Wow. I know that when you look at uh, classic psychedelics like psilocybin, like ayahuasca, predominantly the active <clears throat> ingredient, the receptor where they work, uh, predominantly is the serotonin receptor. <clears throat> what is so special about this ibogaine? Uh, is it just does it uh is it just like the psych, uh classic psychedelics that uses serotonin or are there other receptors that this agent is uh targeting for it to be able to do all these amazing things that we are hearing about it? Uh, talk to me about that. Oh yeah, you bring up one of the really uh, interesting things about ibogaine, which is that you know it has these really strong what are called hallucinogenic effects. Uh, but it isn't like those classical hallucinogens like LSD or psilocybin in acting at those serotonin, serotonin receptors primarily. Uh, it does have some activity there. And some people think that the hallucinogenic effects are really due to that activity at the serotonin receptors. But ibogaine is, in a lot of ways, it's it's a very complicated pharmacology. It hits so many different receptor systems, and it has an affinity for a lot of different receptor types. Um, and they, even though there have been a lot of uh, animal studies, you know, preclinical studies with ibogaine, it's not fully understood. Even though we know a pretty good, you know, we have a very good sense of what the pharmacology is, we don't know how ibogaine is producing the effects it has, either on on uh, quelling the withdrawal symptoms or on on uh, uh, reducing cravings for cocaine or opioids, which it's also been shown to do, or keeping people off of problematic drug use uh, on the long term. So talk to me, uh, uh, Dr. Brown, about earlier you were talking about the fact that ibogaine uh, does so many things and some of them is not clear to us yet. Uh, is that, uh, can we categorize that as an entourage effect considering that it has different receptors that it's at, uh, working on as well as all these other phenol flavonoids that we see in our regular plants? Oh yeah, so I think that uh, it's it's an open question and we don't really know for sure, but we do know that, um, you know, Ibogaine and Iboga are certainly distinct from each other. That is, Ibogaine is only one of the dozen or so alkaloids that's found in the root bark. And so we, and we don't know for sure what the uh, interactions are when someone's taking the, the root bark powder, which they do sometimes for addiction or for psychospiritual purposes, and how that is changing the uh, experience of, of for that, for the user. Uh, so it's, it's going to be different than Ibogaine when you take the aboga root bark, of course. And so, um, yeah, but all those, all those receptor effects, uh, uh, again, we don't really understand for sure what that's doing to uh, either you know, yeah. to help Ibogaine make those effects or to, uh, or what it's doing to the subjective experience for Ibogaine. Okay. Yeah. That brings me to my next question. When you talk about the fact that there's that distinction, this is an analog of uh, Iboga. Uh, where do you guys get your own uh, Ibogaine that you're using beyond? I want to talk more about beyond now. Where do you do? Is it a synthetic Ibogaine or is it uh, derived from Iboga root? The uh, Ibogaine, uh, I can't speak for sure about that, but I'm, I, but mostly what's used for treatment is, is derived from the Iboga root. 
And one of the reasons for that is that ibogaine is a very difficult molecule to synthesize. Uh, you mentioned Voaconga africana, which is a related plant to the aboga shrub. And so there's a there's a compound that's called voacongene in there that uh, you can do a semi-synthesis from voacongene to ibogaine. And that is also a way that can be done. And it, it also takes care of or it deals with the potential ecological pressure on the aboga plant as well. Okay. So that brings me, you kind of touch a little bit on, on what I was going to ask next. That brings me to the fact that, so if we are getting ibogaine from the uh, iboga root for right now, because of how complex it is to synthesize it, uh, and I know uh, scientists are working on some other agents to be able to take that pressure off of the iboga root. How is there what plans does your company beyond have for the people of uh, the indigenous people of Congo, Central uh, Africa, where predominantly this plant is uh, being uh, cultivated? Do you have any program to help this community? That's a question I can't answer just because that, that would be one for Tom Fiegel to answer, I think. So, um, yeah, that's uh, something I can't really speak to, although I have in my conversations with him, that's come up a few times. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, maybe one of these days we'll probably bring you back because, there, you know, there's that school of thought out there that these indigenous people, especially when you look at the father. Uh, in their community, that is really what they have. They are not like us, Western community, where we can, when even when we begin to get a synth uh, synthetic version of it, we will be able to afford it. They're not going to be able to afford it. And part mm -hmm. of why I bring up that question is the fact that it takes many, many years for the boga root itself to grow. Do, uh, I mean, do you know, I mean, can you tell us uh, how many... Like how many years does it even take for this shrub to grow? I, I've heard that it takes five to seven years for the shrub to grow to maturity to the point where you can actually, you know, potentially harvest the, the root bark from it. Oh, okay. That is awesome. Now talk yeah. to us about uh, Beyond. What, uh, what do you do? If people, some of our listeners that are listening, they want to be part of uh, your facilities. How can they do that? Uh, well, the go the the way to go about that is to go to the Beyond website, which is and so Beyond is B E O N D, and if you go to the website, that will be B E O N D dot us. So that is um, the website to go to, and there you can find all sorts of information about uh, ibogaine and iboga, including that ibogaine clinical summary, which just came out. And uh, you can find out about the uh, the entire treatment program that Beyond provides, and uh, you can also contact someone to uh, to tell them that you want to um, to potentially go to Beyond for a treatment. So where are uh, where are Beyond facilities? Where are they located right now? We don't They're have in, any. In, I know that uh, uh, the um, Oregon is working on uh, some framework as part legalization. Do you guys have intention of opening a facility here in United States? As far as I know, there is no intention to open a, a facility in the United States. Uh, right now, the only uh, treatment center that Beyond has is in Cancun, and they are um, planning on opening one again and another one in Cancun. And then in the next three years or so, I believe their plan is to uh, have 
three more facilities in Mexico. And uh, beyond that, I'm not really, really sure. So what is your advice to some of our listeners that are listening now and uh, they would like to embark on this journey? What is your advice for, for folks? Uh, if you are using it for treatment of addiction, um, and in any case, if you're using it for anything, but particularly if you're using it for addiction, it is vitally important that you make sure that the facility where you are going is taking the proper precautions and doing proper medical screening before you go and that they are doing uh, enzyme screening to make sure that you to see if you're a slow metabolizer of ibogaine and they are also doing uh, preparatory work before your treatment to make sure that you're ready for it and um, and also that they have proper medical care during and after treatment and uh, this is something of course that beyond provides the the most dangerous thing for people going into ibogaine treatment is when you go to the websites sometimes you can't tell what what they've got going on and they might make claims that uh, that aren't really true um and so i always advise people to contact by telephone make sure that you have telephone contact with people there and get the assurance of what their their treatment conditions are what their treatment protocol is make sure that they're taking all the proper precautions and uh, and that they have uh, medically trained staff who are there during the treatment uh, and after that uh, it's really all about what happens after treatment and making sure that you have uh, follow-up care. And that's another thing that Beyond provides is within the, in the treatment package, they also have uh, aftercare and integration work that is uh, provided with the treatment. Yeah, that is, uh, that is very, very essential, folks. And I'm going to also emphasize it, Ibogaine as power, even when you are hearing Dr. Brown talk about how many receptors this agent is targeting, it's not traditional like uh, psilocybin or uh, DMT, ayahuasca, where you have predominantly serotonin. So when you have the more receptor you have, the more the potential for, for side effects, especially for people that are already on medication. So you don't want to go eat alone. This is not the kind of medication. This is not the kind of plan that you're going to go alone. So make sure you are reaching out to the right folks. Uh, Dr. Brown, where can we find you? Well, I'm at UC San Diego and in, in San Diego, California. And um, I can be reached there at um, at my email address. So um, if you'd like, I can tell you my email address. Uh, that is TK Brown, my middle name Kingsley, that's the K, TK Brown at ucsd.edu. And that's a good way to reach me there. And uh, we're going to be putting all that information on, on the website and in the show notes. Folks, that is our show today. Find all the past episodes on Cannabis Radio and WCIHealth.com. Please rate the show, give us a five-star review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, plus find the show on hi Radio, Amazon Music, Google, WCI Health, and any other areas where you find, uh, where you listen to your podcast. Please follow me on WCI Health 
19 on IG and Dr. Lola Ohamba on LinkedIn. And don't even, uh, if you are yet to pick my book, A Pharmacist's Guide to Cannabis, Perspective of a Non-Conforming Clinician, go grab your copy. This is your summary. It will give you everything you need. Also, folks, if you are out there and you would like to sponsor this show, slide in DM. Uh, we will be glad to talk with you. That's it for today. Until next time, remember, health equals well. Bye for now. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.